Welcome back to 10,000 No's. We are sporadically re-releasing some of our past episodes throughout the summer, and today's guest was one of the chosen ones. Because these episodes are older, please forgive any out-of-date references. These re-releases have been chosen because they are either some of our most heavily downloaded episodes, relevant to some current event, or just a conversation with someone we deem to be a badass that we felt should be reintroduced to our newer listeners so that their pearls of wisdom are not buried forever. Either way, we hope you enjoy. Here it is. What we do here is go back, 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 back. This is Matthew Del Negro, and you're listening to 10,000 No's. Okay, we are on as far as I know. I'm here with Siri Lindley. Um, how are you? I'm doing great, and I'm just so excited to be on your show. This is going to be fabulous. See, I'm glad you called it a show because I did a little single riff uh, that will be like the first episode, and a couple of times I referred to it as a show, and I'm like, I can't really call this a show. No, I'm it like, is my a back show. Off it. Is this a show? All right. If this is such a show, my God, I feel so incredibly honored to be on your show. Yes. Well, you are, you're very kind, and, and we just kind of went through, for everybody listening, we went through some uh, slight technical glitches, um, starting with a bonehead move on my part of thinking you were uh, two hours ahead of me, you are only one hour ahead of me, you're in Colorado, where in Colorado specifically? In Boulder, Colorado, which if you haven't been here, you must come and visit, because it's a little piece of heaven. Yeah, it's. I love Colorado. I love it. I've skied there. I've uh, whitewater rafted there. I've mountain biked there. Um, I've done a bunch of stuff. I, I, I don't like to call it golf when I'm out there, but I was on a golf course <laughs> with clubs and friends, um, <laughs> hitting a little white ball. But uh, it's not, you know, not great what I do. But that was a long time ago. But, hey, um, we could golf together because when I golf. I wouldn't call it golf. I just get in the golf cart and I kind of, you know, tear up the course on wheels. If you have a bike helmet, uh, which you do as a triathlete, uh, you would have to wear it out there. Otherwise, I could kill you. (laughs) (laughs) Seriously. Um, So, uh, first of all, okay. So, I don't even know where to begin with you because there there are so many cool things to talk about. And I have just... uh, come to the conclusion with this whole, oh, that's a problem. See, I have to turn you up and then I'm going to hear when emails come in. That's a problem. Hang on a second. See, I like all the warts of this though. People hear that this is not, all right, turn that off. There we go. Even further proof of how incredibly popular you are. (laughs) I mean, like 15 emails a second is incredible. Okay, so so you're kind of like playing right into what I suspected you would do, which is a great place to start. Uh, so oh, what I was about to say was, we're not going to get to everything. We're going to have a little conversation. We're going to touch on a few things. Um, I'm sure it's going to be cool because it's you. We're not going to get your whole life story and you will hopefully come back to the show at some point. I am now confidently calling it a show. And um <laughs> But you you've played into my <clears throat> you've played right into my trap with your 
complimenting me, which is what you've done since I met you, which is you're very, very kind and you compliment the shit out of me. Whereas I think you are a total rock star. And I don't want to just blow smoke up your ass because people will listen to this and stick their, you know, their fingers down their throats. <laughs> they hear people complimenting each other. But I I'll, we'll start with um, a little game, which is see if you can guess who this person is. They're kind of um, a little bit of uh, an underachiever. But anyway, I'll just tell you a couple of things this person's done. Uh, she's the 2001 ITU triathlon world champion, as well as the winner of the 2001 and 2002 ITU triathlon world cup series and the 2001 ITU aquathon world championships. I'm probably butchering that. Um, perfect. uh, She has coached a number of Olympic and Ironman athletes and champions, including Marinda Carfry, I'm probably butchering that, Leon DeCave, Sarah True, Susan Williams. In 2014, she was selected to be a member of the inaugural International Triathlon Union Hall of Fame class. Um, she also, you know, just just kind of on the side, worked as a television sports analyst covering triathlon and field hockey events for NBC during a little thing we like to call the 2004 Summer Olympics. Um, she's reported on NCAA field hockey, NCAA Final Four, Big Ten Tournament for NBC, CSTV, TVNZ. Um, not to mention in 2007, she was brought into the Brown Athletic Hall of Fame. 2001, she was a female do athlete of the year. 2001, she was also triathlon magazines, triathlete of the year. She's a total underachiever. She is not a good person. She's mean. She's sarcastic. I don't like her at all. She makes me feel like shit when I talk to her. Uh, I suck. I basically just suck, Matt. That's that's the thing. So um, you are, it's unbelievable when I read that. Like if you went to Wikipedia for me, it would probably say, Matthew Del Negro is an American actor. <laughs> and then Not it'd be like, true. dot, dot, dot. So it, it, like literally that list is so crazy to me um, as I think, think you know, I don't know if we ever talked about this. I played lacrosse at Boston College, which was D1. Um, I wasn't a great player. I, you know, I kind of worked my ass off and was okay. But, um, you know, I know what it took to get to that level. And um, it took a lot of hard work and, and everything. When I read things like you know, it's so easy to be like, oh, yeah, this is, you know, Siri Lindley. She's, you know, triathlete, world champion. It's like, Let's just stop for a second. World champion. I mean, that's, it's crazy. Uh, I'm sure you don't, you know, and we're not going to, we're not going to spend so much time talking about this because you're probably sick of talking about it, but it's just like, I just have to stop and go like, holy crap. I mean, world champion on all of these levels, hall of fames, everything, just the amount of drive and discipline and talent and dedication and passion that that would take is is mind-blowing and then when you made your transition into coaching to see you do that with you know coaching people into the olympics and ironman and all that it's just it's it's kind of like you know i just kind of bow to you for what you've done so well, um, Matthew, you're being so kind, and I really am just so incredibly grateful for your 
incredibly kind words. Um, see, I look at you and think this guy, Matthew, is an absolute all-around rock star in every way, not just with what you do in your life and the kind of father you are, the kind of husband you are, but the kind of person you are, most importantly. Um, and I, I thank you for all of this. And it's funny because you read that list and a lot of stuff, I'm like, oh, wow, I forgot about that. I forgot about that. So it's strange. Um, it's strange because from that list, really what I was after from the beginning was just to somehow find a love and respect for myself because I was lacking that for a long, long period of time. And I was so desperate, I guess, in my early 20s to figure out, you know, who am I and, and what am I capable of? And I, am I strong or am I tough or can I get through something hard, like who the hell am I? And this process, and, and speaking of lacrosse, which by the way, that's awesome that you played for Boston College. That's oh, incredible. Thanks. And let's, let's, um, let's be real. How amazing is that sport? It's, yeah. it's an incredible sport. And that was actually my, my true love in college at Brown University was lacrosse. Yeah. Was, was that where you had, Co was it Coach Spellman who was your, was it at Brown or was that high school? That was in high school, but she changed my life. Like yeah. she's forever one of uh, my greatest role models in my life. But she was the one that got me to play lacrosse initially. Yeah. I didn't want to because my sister was just a star, like didn't even really have to try hard, but would score like eight goals in every game. And she was so incredible and everybody bowed to her. And then coach Spellman asked me to join the high school lacrosse team. And I said, no, that's, that's my sister's thing. Right. And I'll just stick to softball. And um, she convinced me that, you know, it's not about, whether I'm as good as my sister, it's about me taking on a sport that she thought I could be good at and she thought that I would enjoy. Uh, so I took up the sport and I fell madly in love with it and played it throughout college. And after college, I actually tried out for the USA uh, lacrosse team yeah. and failed. I did well in my mind. I failed because I didn't make it, and I kind of choked, and I didn't play to my potential at the trials, and that really ate away at me. It ate away at me because I didn't go back the next year to try again. Um, I literally had just given up on myself and thought I'm just not good enough to achieve this thing that that just seems so incredible to me, and I kind of gave up on me, and um, that took a lot out of me and it ate away at me. And I think the following year when I found triathlon, that's kind of, uh, there was this hidden message, this hidden pull that I, I couldn't have verbalized this in the moment, but there was something about this sport that I was just absolutely enthralled by. And I thought I have to take this on and I have to become good at this. And I think when I look back now it's because it provided me the perfect vehicle through which I could find myself and figure out who I was. And that's what I was after at that point in time. So what happened from all of that, it just, it, it, to me, my experience in this sport, we all find an experience like this in our lives, something that draws us in and we can't really understand why. And perhaps we're able to, um, 
be driven so hard by it and so passionate about it that it becomes this thing that you absolutely, nothing will stop you from making it happen. And everything inside of you, you breathe it, you eat it, you sleep it, nothing will stop you until you get where you're trying to go. And that's what happened for me with triathlon. And those accomplishments are just uh, an incredible gift and byproduct that I received in my quest just to find out who I was. So I feel really lucky that uh, I was able to achieve these things along the way. But the greatest gift was, you know, just being able to finally uh, have a love and respect for myself. Well, Um, yeah, that's what... which is amazing. And even to hear you say that, that people take something on and then they want to be passionate and put everything into it. But still, most people that do that don't become world champions. So that, that's kind of, but, but that's not even, you know, it's interesting. Like, I love hearing you talk because, um, you know, I'm not real. Oh, oh, by the way, for anybody listening, if you dig this interview with Siri, um, she's totally cool. And she's got this book called Surfacing. From the oh, depths of self depth, uh, so, sorry. From the depths of self doubt to winning big and living fearlessly, and it's really awesome. I I had a chance to read it, and it kind of Siri and I had met, and then we, and then I I um, I think you sent me the book, maybe, or did I go get the book? Uh, no, no, I maybe I I can't remember. Did I buy? I think it? I gave it to you in person because oh, oh, I was so right. shy. Before I was like, oh god. god. And, and it's so awesome. No, but what you touch on in your answer is kind of what comes through in the book. And I think why, you know, if the book is universal, because what you do really well is like, and this is kind of how I view my my career, my acting is like, if people ever say anything, you're like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Like you, you did that. It's not about the accomplishments. It's not about that stuff. It's kind of the why underneath, like what, what drove you. And that's apparent in the book that you had this kind of, um, you know, this childhood that from the outside looked like, you know, enviable. Uh, it, it was a lot of like money and privilege, but, and, you know, you could get into or not get into the, the whole thing if you want, or people can just go read the book. You know, we don't need to like summarize the book here, but I, I highly recommend it to anybody listening because um, you, what I love, and I, I kind of like, I don't even know if I could find it, but I dog-eared a bunch of stuff when I was reading it and I, I highlighted and, and, I, and I wrote down stuff. And I'll try to find this one thing that I, was, I had written down um, while we're just, we're talking. But, um, but there, there's, there's something in the book that I love, which is from the pain of childhood, you know, you put that together and that, that is really the fuel that drove you toward the greatness that you've achieved. And it's the way you framed it and the way you kind of, I don't think you did in the beginning you were kind of pissed off as a kid, but (laughs) then you, but then you eventually with you know, mentors like um, Spellman, your high school lacrosse coach, or who was the dude in Maine? Was it your uncle or was it one of the Bushes? One of like uh, the guy that kind of, he took an interest in you and he was very encouraging to you. Um, Yeah. So, well, there were a few people. I mean, I know Marvin Bush, who is one of my 
dear, dear friends. What I loved about him as a young kid in the summertime, so we, we would go to Kennebunkport, Maine, and I was just, I was so terrified of everyone and everything. I didn't talk much, certainly didn't say much. And I remember Marvin just kind of, he saw me and to, and he was like such just one of those incredible guys. It's kind and funny and intelligent and everybody, whenever he was talking, people were just listening with eyes wide open. And, um, and he saw me and I remember my sister and I put on this, dance party at the river club in Kennebunkport and we put signs up all over town and um, we had chips and soda pop and everything and nobody showed up until like three hours in it was like maybe nine o'clock and Marvin and his I, I think they were married at the time his wife or they were boyfriend and girlfriend at the time but they showed up and he said hey you know the dance contest the dance contest is on and you know, we won the dance contest because we were the only ones dancing. But like he really, you know, he he saw me. And I remember thinking, I want to be that kind of a person. Mm-hmm. I want to be someone that makes people feel not only that they exist, but that there's something special about them, especially when they don't see that in themselves. Yeah. And I want to make people feel good. And I want to make people laugh and smile and just be seen. Um, so he kind of became a role model for me as far as the kind of person I wanted to be. And, um, and that gave me, you know, a little bit of confidence that, okay, I'm not totally invisible. So if someone like him can see that I'm here and I'm worthy of, of his attention or friendship, then, um, I must be okay. Um, but I think you're also thinking of, um, Oh, your uncle. You had the well, uncle oh, my uncle like Boyce. Yes. Oh, yeah, the guy who. Well, no, but I, I actually wasn't. I was thinking of the one you just the the, the Bush that you just mentioned. But you also, I was going to get on that later, which was that you had someone in your lineage who was an Olympic. Uh, what was he? A crew? Uh, he was a rower. Yeah, eight man yeah. crew, and in I believe it was. Uh, oh my God, I can't. Nineteen sixty four. They won the gold medal. Uh, I believe it was like yeah, 1964, the Tokyo games. And yes, Tokyo. And they all had their gold medals stolen and it was like devastating. But this guy, he's like a beast. Like he's just handsome, huge man that I had so much respect for because he was such a great athlete. And he used to always say, I see something special in you, Siri, you know, go after your dreams. And when I, um, he was a second person I told after telling my mom about how desperately I wanted to to take on this sport. And you yeah. know, I said to my mom, I wanted to be the best in the world, which was totally embarrassing because it's not the kind of thing I would ever say. And I couldn't believe it came out of my mouth, but that actually became my mission. Uh, but when I told my uncle Boyce, he was very encouraging as far as saying, if you want something bad enough and you're willing to do the work, go after it. And well, you know what? Afraid. And so I, I had written down when I read this book, and this was this was a while ago, but I had written down on on this page where you, you talk about uh, Uncle Uncle Boyce, Uncle Boyce, right? B O. Yeah, Boyce. Yeah. Um, I I wrote down lots of models in her life for greatness. Olympic gold is within reach because she knows someone, and there is something like, you know, there is that, um, you know, like Malcolm Gladwell talks about it, how Bill Gates. Happy, you know, it's this combo of what was the um, 
outliers. He talks about how it's this combination. I believe that's where he talks about 10,000 hours. Um, but he also talks about how, you know, it's just like, sometimes it's also a combo of fortune of being in the right place. Like Bill Gates and his friends were in a community that there happened to be all these computers available to them in this computer room at a nearby school or whatever it was. And they all went in there and then they were obsessed with it and they, and they did all the work and they got so much better. And, you know, when they were really young, but it was also that opportunity that they had that someone else might not have had. And it's, you know, kind of, you know, how they talk about luck is opportunity plus preparation. And it's mm-hmm. kind of you, you had the opportunity of being around someone like that, but then you did the work. And I also think like your mom, I mean, it's funny, I, I, we're not going to get to a 10th of the stuff I want to talk about. Um, your mom sounds awesome, by the way. Yes. Like just yeah. a total badass, cool person <laughs> who was like yeah. kind of, it sounds like when you were a kid, she was forced to hide her light under a bushel in terms of with now, can you get into like, I guess you can, you wrote a book about it, but like your your stepfather is and all that stuff. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess to lay out the story of my amazing mom who to this day has just been my most incredible supporter and growing up, I mean, the first four years of my life were amazing. My mom and dad were married and we didn't have a lot. We lived in a tiny little yellow house on a river and, um, but there was so much love and so much uh, just tenderness, you know, spending time together and doing the simple things in life. They ended up getting divorced when I was four, and my mom fell in love with Frank Gifford. And um, from the beginning, it was kind of uh, very up and down. And all I knew as a four-year-old kid is that uh, this guy, you know, you can kind of I feel like kids are really good at this, that they can kind of feel an energy or feel a vibe around people. And all I remember is the first time I met him, he walked in through our, the door, our front door of our house. And it was as if this big, dark, stormy cloud was ascending on our entryway. And it was (laughs) terrifying to me because I could feel how excited my mom was to have this guy walking through. But all I felt was like this impending doom. And it was from that day, I did not speak. I put my lips, you know how you make that fish face with your lips? Do it right now. Mm -hmm. Mm. And and I literally, anytime he came over, I did not speak. My lips were pursed. And um, because at one point they had a really bad fight and he said that they couldn't be together anymore. And I I thought that was going to literally destroy my mom. I mean, the pain that I saw her go through was pretty scary for a four-year-old. And he ended up coming back. Uh, We actually moved out to Colorado to get away. I remember that. Yeah, you talk about that. And I'm so thankful for that because it was her way of protecting herself and us. uh, But then he showed up, right? He showed up. (laughs) He shows up. He found us sits us down, my sister and I, and says, I want to ask your mom to marry me, but I'm not going to do it unless I have permission from both of you. I mean, it's literally like, you know, 
<laughs> I, I haven't read the Harry Potter books, but I've read a little <laughs> bit with my son in the beginning of the first one. And he talks about like, he's like living with it. You should go read them because it's literally like they put him in, they put him in a dark room under the stairs and like they treat him like shit. And, and it's so frustrating to watch this happen. And he's this special, uh, you know, he's got this special power and he doesn't know he has it. He doesn't know where he came from because his parents were killed in an accident or whatever it was. Um, I never saw the movie, so I'm totally bastardizing this. Sorry to any (laughs) fans of it out there, but, but that story is like very much, you know, it's got the same themes as, as your story. And it's so, when I read the book, it's so frustrating to read it. And, and I'm sorry, I'm going to direct you because I have things like, I want, like, like one of the things that I'm literally like bound up because I have so many things I want to talk to you about. But one of the things was like, you guys had, you and your sister had this experience. Um, and you both, she was the star, as you talk about, she was the star athlete and, and very pretty and all this stuff. And I think you looked at yourself as like the one that didn't have it all and your sister had it all. And yet as time went on, your reaction to everything kind of propelled you to where you went. And it sounds like your sister made different choices and, and has had, you know, maybe a rougher go of things. Um, which is and interesting and, and, and just, I'm going to let you talk. I just want to piggyback on that. One of the things I've struggled with while, um, trying to launch this podcast is that I, I've been an actor and I've been able to like do stuff as an actor where I express myself, but I've, I, I really have had resistance in launching this thing because I'm afraid to like voice my own opinion on things and afraid like, Oh, people are going to talk shit or whatever it is, you who seem pretty private, pretty, uh, well, I don't, you don't seem private now, but you seem, you were really shy and yet you wrote this book and you're such a kind person that I know Frank Gifford must've pissed you off because you like don't hold back. And as I read it, I was like, shit, how was that for her to write this? What were the repercussions? Has he read it? Does he know? It sounds like you, it seems to me like you really could give a flying fuck what he thinks. It's like he, he, you know, he hurt you and you were like, Hey dude, you did this. I'm coming at you guns a blazing. And I just wonder, you know, you talk about your sister, you talk about Frank, you you know, how was that so it's kind of a double question, which is you and your sister reacting differently. And then also, how was the process of, of owning your story and being able to express it and know that you're probably going to piss off a few people? How was that? Yeah. Um, terrifying. So I'll start with, with the writing of the book. Um, I initially started writing the book about 10 years earlier. And when it got to, I understand that a book is only going to be good if it is completely authentic and you tell the whole story. And I got to a point where I realized 10 years ago that I wasn't ready to tell the story because I didn't have enough confidence in myself or I didn't want to hurt anybody. And I wasn't ready to tell the story the way it needed to be told in order to truly positively impact as many people as possible. When I ended up 
actually writing it a couple of years ago, um, I decided I was ready to tell the whole story. Now, I may have told the story about Frank and yeah, that's scary because it's going to piss people off. But look at the things I talked about with myself. I mean, I talk about my OCD. I talk about all my fears, all my anxieties. I talk about every struggle I ever had. So I'm not afraid to talk about all my flaws and the things I did wrong. And I also think that as far as Frank goes, I mean, the thing about the story is it's an honest recollection of what happened. And there are a lot of things that, yes, I was angry about. He took my mom away from us. He wanted us locked away in our bedrooms once it was six o'clock onwards. You know, he didn't, he, the big bummer about marrying my mom is that she happened to have two kids. And, you know, (laughs) this whole story though, and and the point I- (laughs) You just happened to have these two human beings that were a part of it. And, but the point in writing this whole story is that, and and I was not, you know, I, f- I felt bad writing about my struggles as a child because really most people will read it and be like, you spoiled brat. Like, this wasn't hard. Like, you were healthy. You had healthy parents. You had money. No, you no but that's what I, uh, no, let me just interject here. That's what I love about it. And that's actually the point of this whole freaking podcast, which is it doesn't matter who you are, where you come from, what you have. We all have shit. Now, I interviewed someone the other day, an actress, and she came from, it was a beautiful story of what, uh, what she came from. Um, the, the, she had two parents that were addicts. She grew up in the ghetto. It's amazing story wow. of overcoming, right? Now, yes, that does not minimize your story because I read your story and sure you had like all of the comforts, but who cares if you don't have the nurturing and you don't have the love? I mean, it literally doesn't matter. Like, look, would I rather have a ton more money than I have right now? Absolutely. It would make my life a lot easier. However, Mm -hmm. would I rather have all of, you know, a thousand times more money a million times more money than I have right now, if it meant giving up all of the other stuff I have in my life, hell no. Because you have all that, but you got no one to share it with, or you're just totally, you know, like you guys were alone. Like there is no part of me that read that and thought, oh, you spoiled brat. Like I can't, (laughs) it's like, it's like, yeah, you had all that stuff, but it, it literally was like, who cares? You're locked away in a, in a castle tower, basically. Yeah. It was, it was yeah. like, it's awful. It's like, it's like uh, Cinderella, you know? Yeah. Well, thank you for appreciating that. And, and it was, but the thing to go back to Frank, I mean, um, I look back now that whole experience I'm grateful for because it made me who I am today. And which brings us to talking about the difference between my sister and myself. But there are a lot of things that I am grateful for. You know, I'm grateful he paid for my college. You know, I went to Brown University. I could have never gone if it weren't for him. So there are things that I'm thankful for. Um, But I also feel that all of us, you know, in, in highlighting the things I did wrong and the things that I'm embarrassed about, the things that, you know, my mom, the hardest part in writing this book was having to be honest about, you know, 
the situation with my mom and with Frank and that they would go away for a couple of weeks and didn't realize that our house sitter wasn't there most of the time and we were left alone. Like um, she, I had to say, mom, you know, I'm going to be talking about this stuff and I need you to know that you have made up for that and become the most incredible mom I could ever dream of having. Your support and guidance and mentorship, you're an incredible role model for me. Everything about who you are today has made me who I am today. And that time um, forced me to, you know, be strong and be resilient. And I'm thankful for that. So I hope it didn't come across as me really bashing no, Frank. It was no. just being honest. It's, and, no, it's totally, yeah. just so you know, it's such a vulnerable, honest book. I, I, now, I mean, you expose yourself as much or more than you expose anyone. And yet my question was only, I'm not asking it like, how dare you do that? Yeah, yeah, no, of course. I'm asking it more like, wow, that's pretty cool that you were able to have the courage to write it down. And I think other people can hear it and have heard it and read it and benefited from it. And it's, it's courage and it's kind of what all art and athletics and any performance really is. I think when you, when you boil it down, um, you know, whether it's, you, you know, people go crazy for sports, right. And, and people go crazy for, um, celebrity and some, you know, nowadays, unfortunately, sometimes a celebrity is coming from something that's not so, uh, noble, but, but in its best forms, I think people are cheering for the hero in themselves and the person who, you know, was able to go swim 2.2 miles and bike 110 miles and then run a marathon and do it under some incredible amount of time because we're cheering for that potential in ourselves. Mm -hmm. And you, you have actually done it. And I think with the book, you've done a different version of that, which is people read the book and they're, they're going like, wow, I, I have, you know, maybe more troubles than you, maybe less troubles than you, but whatever. I have troubles, you have troubles, but you had the courage to put it down in writing and expose yourself for everybody to see it and learn from it and be inspired. And it's, it's really awesome. I mean, I, I hope I can do something like that where, you know, I can allow myself to be vulnerable enough that people, whether it's listening or watching or reading in some form, can go, oh, you know, like he went through that, then I can deal with this, you know, and that's kind of what your book does and what your whole life is to me. And that's why I love, Matthew, that you're doing this, because I felt when you told me about this project, I thought this is so perfect for you, because I I totally get the, you know, okay, you're making yourself vulnerable by coming out and, and speaking your opinions and and talking about things that you're passionate about and putting yourself out there. And there's nothing more beautiful than seeing someone go out and do that because I truly believe, and I learned this later on in my life when I finally decided I was going to live my life authentically as me, no longer rejecting parts of myself that I thought if I brought them to the forefront would destroy my career or destroy what people thought about me. And that is being gay. And once I decided to 
not hide that anymore. I cannot tell you the power that that being authentic brought me in my life, whether Mm -hmm. it was through deeper relationships, deeper friendships, more trust from my athletes and the people around me, greater career opportunities. Because what I realize now is that when we hold back from presenting our whole story, our whole honest self, our everything about us, when we hold or stop short of presenting all of who we are, we are less powerful. There's something hidden that people pick up on. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't trust quite as much because they're, they're like, they're not saying something or there's a little bit of a wall here. And you don't have the same impact. You don't have yeah. uh, the same openness that really draws people in. And what I loved about you when I met you is that your openness and your um, ability to be vulnerable, because you you did allow yourself to be vulnerable, and vulnerability holds such power and beauty to it. And and I know men maybe get uncomfortable when we talk about being vulnerable, and maybe Shut that's the fuck up, sir. Yeah. <laughs> see. But I'm not fucking vulnerable. What are you yeah. fucking talking about? <laughs> But there is a power in vulnerability. And I think that because when someone is being vulnerable by opening themselves up to us, good, bad, ugly, all of it, um, there's so much that we all can either relate to or learn from. And I'm all about telling someone what they're doing great and how amazing they are. But I'm also um, into calling people out to help make them a better version of themselves. And as uncomfortable as it is for someone to call me out on something, I totally appreciate it because it's going to make me a better me. And I think that unless we are vulnerable and unless we are speaking our truth, um, we don't have the ability to grow like we all want to, um, you know, growth is, is where we make progress. Growth brings us happiness. Growth brings us fulfillment. Um, so I love that you're out here, you know, creating a platform to share your soul and spirit with us and to help us because the more open you are, you make us feel comfortable being open. And, and there's such a power in that because there's so much we can learn from one another. Yeah. And in my story to go back to, you know, my sister and I, um, so much of our experience of life comes from the meaning that we give different experiences that we go through. And um, I look back at, at our childhood and I reached a point where I thought, okay, this has made me strong. This has made me resilient and I'm going to use this because now I know that I'm strong. I know that I'm resilient. I know I can take on anything that comes my way. And so I'm going to go out and instead of being a victim in my life, I'm going to become the superhero of my own story. And I'm going to take this and I'm going to use this and I'm going to have it, you know, help me achieve something that I think is really special. Um, whereas my sister who had all the talent in the world, she was definitely the the beautiful one and the smart one and the amazing athlete. And it seemed everything just came so, um, you know, it, it was just easy for her because she was so talented. Um, yet she, I believe, and, and again, this is me being honest, uh, just decided that, wow, we had some hard knocks and, 
I'm so hurt and I was rejected and I, I wasn't worth enough for people to stick around for. And I'm just going to, my life will be, I'm going to get involved in drugs and alcohol and I'm going to be a bit of a mess so that people know how much they hurt me. And that's being a victim of your life. And the thing is that these are stories that we can change in an instant. You know, you can decide if you're a person that's, that's kind of been living the same story your whole life and it's just brought you down and you can't seem to get anywhere. You can decide today that forget that. I'm not going to be the victim of my story anymore. I'm going to take charge and, and become the superhero of my life by turning things around now. Um, and so I think the more we can connect to who we are and understand, you know, what our mission is and what fires us up and be able to see the strength within ourselves that we really should be encouraged to go out there and be all of who we are, because that's where you'll discover um, how life can really be extraordinary if you let it be. Um, yeah. I, I, I'm kind of going off in 20 million. No, no, no. I love it. I, I mean, I, I was, I had like a bunch of different things I was going to react to within that, that I was just, I'm, I've been practicing listening a little bit better because I like to talk, as you may know. I love listening to you talk, and so keep talking, please. No, no, you're here so we could hear you listen. I talk enough, just ask Deirdre. Um, <laughs> it's, it's uh, you know, but I had so many things, but I'm like, you know what? Maybe she's going to put it in a better way than you can, Matt. So why don't you just stay quiet? And you did. Uh, first of all, thank you for saying that about me doing this. Um, I agree with you, and it's funny. I literally, you're my second interview, my first remote interview, my, my second interview overall. And I had the one interview the other day and I texted, um, my, I was texting with my sister the next day. Um, she's on the East coast and I, and she said, how was it? And I said, I feel like I was meant to do this. Like I was like born for this in a way I really do. I love it. Like, I'm sure, look, you talk to me in a hundred episodes and I'll be like, ah, oh, fucking Siri Lindley's talking <laughs> to me. She's a pain in the ass. I got to listen to her again. You know, I got, I got episode 347. I'm sick of it. But I, I, I don't think so. I feel like it, I really love this forum where I get to hear people's stories and go back and forth. And I do think you're right. It's a, It's an opportunity for me to go like, yeah, this is kind of how I think. I mean, I, I'm shocked as I listen back to a little bit of it. I really do. I mean, I'm a little embarrassed. I throw a lot of F-bombs around. Like, I love that. Like, I love that. Like Donovan and Bronwyn are not going to be listening to this for another, well, they probably <laughs> never will, but, they, but definitely not for another 10 years. You know, but I kind of, it's interesting in preparing, you go like, well, what do I want it to be? And ultimately I rested on, you know what? It just got to be me. And I'm sure the two people that are listening to it right now really appreciate that. <laughs> but, but that's what I've decided is like, you know what, if it's two people listening, whatever, that's what it is. It's going to be mine. Cause I have, yes. there are so many things in my life that are not all mine and I have to kind of make compromise, compromises to do them, to be a part of them. And I think the beauty of this thing is like, it's pretty self-sustainable and I can just do it. And if it's, it costs me a little bit of money out of my pocket and I feel like the, the reward I'll get in the conversations I'll have is enough for me. And if it ends up being more than that, 
that's great. But one thing I, I wanted to say while you were while you were in there in that riff, for people listening, um, I th- and I'm talking to myself as well. It's really important when you hear between you and your sister, you guys got a relatively the same barrage of of whatever um, indifference and being locked away, all that kind of stuff, right? You reacted differently. I think it's really important for all of us to, when we're in the parts of our lives that we think are the shit part of our lives, when we're dealing with, we're just getting like, you know, kicked in the nuts over and over and over again, which is what my career feels like. When we're in that, the tendency that I've had is to go, well, someday I'm going to be over here and someday and someday, instead of going like, no, this is it. Let me feel this pain. Let me let it in. And then let me do what you did, which was kind of convert that pain into fuel and then fire it back out onto the world. And, and I think that's why I'm, I think I'm going to dig this podcast is because it's kind of this therapy for me of it's called, it's literally called 10,000 no's because I feel like I've heard 10,000 no's. And now I'm going, instead of denying that and acting like, oh no, I'm cool with that. That's great. That's fine. I'm okay. It's like, no man, it sucks to be given 10,000 no's, but let me go talk to Siri about her 10,000 no's. And let me talk to this person and that person. And you start to realize that's just the human experience in whatever field we're in. We are being rejected we are not being heard. We feel like we can't contribute as much as we want. And it's our job, I guess, as humans to not feel victimized and to go, no, I'm feeling this. Yeah, it's a little rough at the moment, but you know what? If I go knock on my neighbor's door, they're going to say the same thing. They got a different story, but they got a story. Everybody's got a story, you know? Even the CEO of the company who's flying around in a private jet, he's got some story, you know, his kids don't talk to him. I don't know what his story is, or maybe he's amazing. And that's, you know, like he's got no, but I, I have found that everybody's got something, you know? Definitely. And that was so beautifully said. That was brilliant, Matthew. I, I love what you just said there. And it's so true because I failed so many times before I achieved those things that you read out early on in the show. And if people think that they can achieve success without getting kicked in the nuts, as you say, a thousand <laughs> times that. over. No, I, you know what? I even say that for girls. So it, it works. Um, <laughs> I'm going to offend know. somebody. I know it. <laughs> no, come on. Nuts are a good thing. You are meant <laughs> to have them, right? Yes. Um, but so... If anybody thinks that you can achieve something amazing without falling down a thousand times first, they're fooling themselves because it just doesn't happen. I mean, think of all the bad relationships you have before finding your one and only. Think about, um, so those 10,000 no's, um, if we look at them instead as every time I get a no, I'm going to learn from it. And I'm going to find out what was I missing? What did I need? What do I have to go get? How am I going to get that? What do I need to do? Did I want that anyway? Am I really upset that they said no? Um, Maybe this is leading me to another path that's more 
up my alley and more what I want. Or maybe there's always something that you can learn uh, from whether it's a no or you fall down or you fail at something. There's something to learn. And we learn so much more from those times than we do from our victories. And I tell you what, if we did talk about my path in the sport, like I fell down so many times, humiliated myself. I was an embarrassment out there on the race course. But the thing was that I wanted it so bad that nothing was going to stop me. And I was so exhilarated by the sport itself that I kind of, um, you know, uh, pushed out all the looks on people's faces when I was out there racing or training and looking like an idiot. And I focused on what I felt in my heart. And that was that I know that there's something out there for me. I just need to work my ass off and give every ounce of my heart and soul and not give up. And um, it does work out in the end, but you know, it's, it's, you know how they always say it's going to be hard, but God, it's going to be worth it. And, and we all know that the great things in our lives that most likely we had to work our asses off for were so worth it in the end. And yeah. you got to just hang in there. But like you said, you're going to be learning through every single show you do with different people. Um, you may find that that thing that you were after in your acting career, you know, for however many years, holy smokes, what you feel about this now is so much more than what you felt for that, that this is a path you were meant to be on. Or you'll be doing a show and somehow it's going to lead to your, you know, greatest moments ever as an actor. Like there's a path for all of us, but we do get rewarded for handling the struggles gracefully and not feeling victimized, but feeling almost like we're being given a gift of a lesson that's going to make us stronger and make us a better person and put us on a different path that will lead us to where we want to go. Just not maybe the way we thought we were going to get there. Exactly. Well, you know, what's cool about that. You're saying that is that my, the the woman that I interviewed um, that first was someone that, you know, I had you lined up. I have, I have a bunch of really, I think, interesting, super intelligent, super, accomplished people lined up. And I happened to be working on this new gig that I'm doing um, on that show Goliath on um, Amazon with Billy Bob Mm -hmm. Thornton. And my first day on set, I started talking to this other actress in the scene and she just kind of, somehow it came up. She said, both my parents were addicts and and then she kind of went on and I was like, hang on a second. I'm like, I know you don't know me and I know this is weird. Uh, and I haven't even started this podcast yet, but would you mind if I kind kind of, would you mind if I interview you? Would you mind if, um, like, let's not talk about your past for a little bit. I want to get it on here. I was like, kind of felt weird about it, but she was like, yeah, sure. So she was my first interview. And, you know, we worked for like two days after that. And then we just worked yesterday after having done the interview. But I kind of said, let's just not touch on your past until we get, and her story was amazing. And what I'm finding is this thing dovetails perfectly with my career because one of the problems of being an actor, one of the challenges is that you have so much downtime in between gigs. And I always say I'm working harder when I'm not working. You know, when I work, that's the reward. I would do it for free, but, Mm -hmm. but looking for work sucks. It's a drag, but you're, but you're, 
um, you know, auditioning and all that, but you're always doing stuff to kind of, you want to be doing stuff to inspire yourself. And for me, this feels like kind of the perfect thing. It's like, I'm being inspired. I'm, I'm meeting, I'm going to get, you know, talk to all these amazing people like yourself and, and then meeting people when I'm acting that might be inspiring to me, like uh, Tony Torres, who's the woman that I interviewed the other day. And, and all of a sudden you're like, Oh, so my acting life is feeding the interview life and the interview life might feed the acting life. Yeah. And I, I don't know what the plan is. I don't know where it's going. I literally don't know how each interview is going to go. I mean, I, I, I kind of, that's, that's where this thing will even, you know, sink or swim is like, I don't know if people are going to be into the style that I uh, that I particularly like, which is a conversation like this where we don't know, I don't have talking points. I mean, I have a couple of little uh, notes jotted down that I wanted to talk to you about. We haven't gotten to some of them. We probably won't. Uh, I have your book over here has a couple of highlighted, but I basically was like, you know what? It's, it's kind of like Woody Allen talking about making a movie. He says, cast it right. That's 99% of the job. <laughs> really? And it's like, you, you cast it well, and let those people bring their gift to the set and then try to catch lightning in a bottle. And that's kind of what I would like to do with this, which is like, I know, you know, I'm going to link up with you online. That was a little, uh, you know, I didn't know if we were going to make it this morning with the uh, logistics of the, the technology, but we, we got on there and I knew if you and I were talking, at least one little gem would come out and I would, you know, argue that a bunch of gems came out with you talking and, and that's kind of it. And it's like, we'll get off this call and I'll go, Oh shit. I wanted to ask her about this, 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 and this. And it's like, you know what? That's what we got today. That's it folks. And then hopefully, you know, like a couple months from now, a year from now, whatever, I'll, I'll call you up and be like, Hey, you want to come back and talk about whatever. You know? That'll be episode 343, like you spoke about earlier, where yes. you're like, oh, darn it, Siri. Where my, that's going to be where my assistant's assistant <laughs> is like, Mr. Del Negro, Siri Lindley's online too. I'm like, tell her to fuck off, okay? <laughs> oh, <laughs> um, my God. Wait, so let me ask you before we get, I mean, I literally, like I had so many other, I wanted to ask you about being in the zone. Are you sore? You know, because you're like work, you know, your mom, we talked about a little bit. Um, Coming out, we talked about a little bit. What I'll ask you, because we, I know you have a, um, an end time here, um, as do I. Uh, so let me just ask, what, what are you working on right now? What's next? Where can people find you? Um, I already talked about the book, which is called Surfacing by Siri Lindley. From the depths of self-doubt to winning big and living fearlessly. I think you can find that anywhere, right? Yes, anywhere. And on audiobook as well. Oh, do um, you do the audio? I do. And I, of course, I'm sitting there, oh my God, I'm not an audiobook reader. And I was getting all hard on myself. And, I, and then I thought, hey, it's my voice. That's got to work somehow, knowing sure. that the person that wrote it is reading it. So yeah, totally. I think it works. But thank you for for mentioning the book number one. And um, right now I'm kind of, you know, I do my thing. I'm coaching some tremendous athletes that are some of the best in the world. And it's not really about swim, bike, run for me, even when I'm coaching them. It's kind of about 
training them for life and just wanting to bring out the best in them as human beings, which will automatically translate to uh, greater performances. Um, but I too have, I've got this fire inside of just wanting to get out there and speak more and touch as many lives as, as I possibly can uh, through stories and experiences and insights. And um, I have so many incredible mentors out there and you being a, a great inspiration for me as well. But the great Tony Robbins, I just, he's been influencing me since I was 18. You know, yeah. I just, his ideas and insights just resonate so deep with my soul. Same here. And yeah. yeah, I mean, he's just incredible and has just uh, provided me with so much inspiration and, and everything I've learned from him is just so powerful. But um, just being able to touch as many lives as I possibly can um, and helping people find their way as I did because I, I feel everybody has the ability and uh, the opportunity to create the life they dream of. Uh, some of us just need guidance and, and um, need to understand how to tap into all the greatness that is inside all of us. So yeah. hopefully we helping us. We should actually talk about something because I've been kind of, sorry to cut you off. I wanna, no. But I've been kind of brainstorming. It's like a germ of an idea at this point, but I've had a couple <laughs> of people through reaching out to people about interviewing them for this that are really kind of prolific in their particular field and all the fields are varied. And I've kind of had this little daydream of like, Maybe there's a way to bring together, I, I feel like I have this kind of weird spectrum of people in my life that are from different walks of life, but they're all like super impressive and of like pulling them together and doing like a one day workshop or a weekend Amazing. Kind of seminar type of deal where you have like you know, this person who's in business and this person who's a triathlon champion and this person who is a writer and this person, whatever. And like, but people with a similar um, kind of vibe and attitude and, and I don't know, I feel like there could be something kind of cool there for people to hear from different walks of life because they, they would, they would just kind of what happens is you hear the same message, but it's just through the prism of a different a different background or different yeah. backdrop. And, and so I, I don't know, just put I'm it in all in, all in. That sounds fabulous to me. Yeah. I have no idea how to do it, but I, but I just, I've thought about it and I'm like, it seems like a waste of my resources not to pull some of the people together that, that I know that are like, I'm like, I definitely would listen to this person speak and, you know, tell me about, fitness or this person tell me about business and how they handle money. And this person tell me about how they did go. You know what I mean? I don't know. Exactly. Just, just yeah. throw it in the back of your head because I, you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah, no, I love that. And, and, you know, another thing that uh, my wife and I are involved in is we just created a, a foundation um, that is the Believe Ranch and Rescue. It's a 501c3 nonprofit and we are raising money to save Dogs from euthanasia, there's so many overcrowded shelters that 
literally a dog will come in and if they're not adopted within a day, they're put down and they're given up on so quickly. And um, we want to save dogs from those situations and also horses from feedlots and auctions. Basically, horses are treated in the most awful ways, not fed, not you know, given water and stuck in small cages with like 10 other horses and they're auctioned off and sold uh, for meat. And it's just really horrible circumstances. And we're saving dogs and horses right now. We're doing it at a very small level because we haven't made enough money to save more than one at a time and then give them medical care and training and then adopt them out to hopefully a wonderful forever home. Um, But that's something that is near and dear to our hearts that we're really trying to build up and work on. And, you know, how we talked earlier, Matthew, about like, what is your why? You know, the why, what, what is giving you that fire and that desire to want to get out there and like rip things open and make great things happen. And a lot of times it's, um, not just a passion that you have for what a, whatever it is that you're doing, but also um, knowing that you're kind of uh, giving yourself more of an ability to do other things uh, that are near and dear to your heart. So a lot of the work that I do, you know, I'm so inspired to want to do the best job possible with my athletes, not just to help them achieve their dreams, but also to create uh a situation where I'll be able to give more myself, whether it's uh, to the athletes, to people or to animals and all of that. So that's my greater, deeper why, but um, just with everything, you know, live with passion. Let me, let me do this because you probably, if you're like me, have a hard time plugging yourself, but I'll say yes, terribly. (laughs) if If there's someone out there, you know, who's listening and happens to be flush with cash then, you know, check that out. The, what's it called? The Believe Ranch it's and Rescue? Believe Ranch and Rescue. We have a website, uh, believeranchandrescue.org. And yeah, we've raised yeah, about- look, look, Maybe someone's listening to this thing four years from now and they're like, uh, you know, they've got billions of money, of dollars laying around and they go, <laughs> that would be hey, nice. let's throw it this way. No, because that's what happens. I see it with my my friends and myself where, you know, I think you have a great idea for a show or whatever it might be. And you just kind of, it would be a lot easier with with funds. And you you guys, I'm sure are doing amazing things there, but it's like, you know, you're like putting it together with chewing gum and tinfoil and yeah. <laughs> it's a lot easier if you had a couple of bucks behind it. So, you know, yeah. whatever, just throw it out there. Thank you, Matthew. But yeah. you just, you inspire me so much. I mean, your openness, your humor, your intelligence, like I couldn't wait to do this show with you. And I think it's going to be absolutely brilliant. Um, I'm sure you're going to get way better guests on the show, but I feel really honored Mm. to have the opportunity to be a part of it at this stage of the game, because I know it's going to just be amazing. So, you know, really, thank you so much. Well, thank you. You're very kind. And um, it's really nice of you to say, uh, I don't know how I'm going to get you know, any better than this, but I, <laughs> I appreciate that. And, um, and I really appreciate like, you know, I, I'm the one thanking you it, it, to, to come here and take your time. And I really, really appreciate it. This was really, really, really cool. Mm-hmm.